0: This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24 7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
1: Let me preface my opening remarks here, although I guess those were my opening remarks, by saying that I have all the respect in the world for Ramon Foster. I think he's been a very good player around here, I think he's been a strong leader, and I think he's a solid citizen. But these comments that he made yesterday to Ed Bouchette in the Post Gazette underscored my belief that there's a lack of focus. Here's the quote. Yeah, in that sense, acknowledging that we have a bigger feat in front of us, absolutely. I think what's happened to this three-game skid has actually been good for us. And then you ask, well, good? How? He goes on, in a sense that it makes guys realize that, hey, we have to go to work. You almost have to get in training camp mode in a sense that this is what we need to fix. We have to concentrate on what we need moving forward. And if we get that going, this is essentially the start of the playoffs. You get a chance to play some good quality teams that know us or at least have a really good team able to beat us, and we have to be better than them in this next stretch of games. In other words, the Patriots have their attention like maybe the Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders might not have. Ramon says, I think naturally humans can do that, and I think it can happen to teams also. Looking back on the Patriots, when they went 16-0 and and lost the Giants in the Super Bowl. I think having a little bit of a streak humbles you, kind of makes you focus on yourselves in a sense that you're not as good as you think you are. Well, here's why I find that upsetting. So the Patriots are coming up. It's always a big game. It is for any team that plays New England based on their constant successes but you here here's what's irritating to me you play a terrible game somehow managing to eke out a win against jacksonville and that wasn't enough to get your attention and refocus and realize you've got to play better Especially knowing you're going on the road at Denver where you haven't played well. So you go into Denver and you lose a game that you not only could have won but should have won. But that wasn't enough to get you focused on, hey, we're not playing well. So now the Chargers come. And you've got a 23-7 to lead, and you blow that lead. I don't care if it was to a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I don't care that he did it to the Chiefs last night. Chiefs defense is worse than the Steelers. So you blow that game, making it two losses and three bad games in a row. But no, that's not enough to get you focused on, boy, we got to do better. So now you take that, and you go out to Oakland. And the past three games, two of them losses, that's still not enough to get you to focus to beat an awful football team. But now, because it's Tom Brady and the Patriots, now you're focused. The crappy game they played against Jacksonville, that's all they should, underline should, have needed. But following that up with a loss in Denver, that's all they should have needed. The combination of the two should have been overwhelming. But then they blow a game to the Chargers at home where they're awful this year. That wasn't enough to get them to focus on a game against a crap Oakland team They lose again. That isn't enough to get them focused, but the mere appearance of the Patriots and Tom Brady is enough. Now, I defy anyone to tell me that this is a team that has the mentality capable of winning. Some are saying it comes from the top. Yeah, it does. But I will hold fast to my belief That there must be leadership from inside the locker room when I hear one of the most respected leaders, and I'm not dumping on Ramon. But one of the one of the most respected leaders on that team is saying that three losses in a row and really four awful games in a row, that's not enough. To get your focus and realize that things are spinning out of control? please I arrest my case. Title man in Harrison City hello title man. how you doing there, Stan? Hey, good to hear from you.
2: yeah, it's been a long time and uh, don't call much anymore but this is certainly uh, uh, certainly uh, cause just to reach out and just express how, how uh, sad it is. I, I knew Bill was sick. And but everyone, I as I'm, I'm a Penn Hills guy, just like Bill, and I uh, grew up in that uh, blue collar community, and and he just seemed to epitomize the toughness and the and the resolve and the loyalty, and the uh, you know never changed. I've met him a couple times. A very humble guy, you know, just a down to earth guy. Yep, and uh, a great player. I mean, just an absolute mountain of a man, and a great player. Great. Uh, he's just never forgot uh, about his roots in Penn Hills, and I think he was very proud of them. Uh, like so many of us, uh, that you grew up there as you get older. Uh, you realize how important uh, that community was uh, to uh, developing and uh, making you the person that you are, and I think Phil's a perfect example of that.
1: Well, undoubtedly, and the, you know, it was very impressive to me uh, that he made his life uh, in Atlanta to build a very successful construction business. Uh, he was a success away from football. Um, he came back to do color on pit games because they needed him. Um, it's not something that he had any interest really in doing, but he came back uh, because they they needed him. Before he finally said um, enough. And, and again, I as I said, I, I mean, I didn't know him well. Um, I got to spend a little bit of time with him, and. Um, He's solid, you know, he's Pittsburgh, he's Penn Hills, he's Pitt. Yep. He's solid.
2: Yeah, and you know the great thing about him and I liked him. I loved it when he did the uh the, the color with Bill Hillgrove. He he's a very, very dry sense of humor. The other thing about him is he was like Jack Ham, uh he's honest. I mean he was honest. And it's funny. Uh Hillgrove once told me that uh it cost him more to come up to the games than uh the stipend that Pitt paid yeah. him. Yeah. He did it happily. Yeah, he and, did. And, uh, and of course, Steve Peterson bounced him to the curb because he had the temerity to, to question what went on with, uh, with the Wanstaff farm. But, you know, they, he was just, a uh, he, he was going to be an honest guy and he was going to say his opinion. And if, uh, you know, he was going to stick by his guns and he was just, uh, everybody, uh, that, uh, I just, he was one of my favorites. He really was. And, uh, I uh, pray for his family, and uh, uh, very young, very young.
1: Yeah, yeah. it seems younger and younger to us, I, I know. Title man, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think you should also be mentioned that it wasn't Steve Peterson that bounced Bill Fralick. Bill Fralick said, as Steve Peterson's EAD, I'm not coming back. That's how much contempt
0: he had for him.
1: Let's go to Anthony in Oakland, PA. Hello, Anthony.
0: Uh, thank you. Uh, Ramon's comments sound like the ramblings of somebody who maybe can speak for himself, but he can't speak for that whole team. The problem with this team is they're just not very good. I mean, they're very good on offense, but there's a price to pay when your you're, you're salary cap, you've invested so much there, you've made some, some calls that in hindsight maybe you shouldn't have made. Uh, and they're just not very good on defense, and they had opportunities to close out several games, and they just couldn't do it. And that's just it in a nutshell. I think the organization needs to revamp the whole defensive mindset next year, even 4-3 maybe.
1: Well, uh, the trouble is they don't have enough good defensive linemen to do that. If you transition into a different defense, it takes a couple of drafts to do that because you've got to reshape your personnel because it's not only the down linemen, it's the, it's the linebackers too. Um, I, they're just not good. You're right. They're not good enough on defense. They don't have any playmakers, not one, not one. Not one who can make a play. Um, and I wanted to mention, I will in the, the, in the segment after Phil Bork, um, one of the big plays in that San Diego game uh, was made by that kid, the strong safety, Derwin James. He made one of the biggest plays in the game that will go on notice, but it didn't go on notice for me. Um, they don't have anybody who makes that kind of play to stop a Kansas City drive on a third and three.
0: Uh, well, it's, it's evident when you watch teams like the Bears. You have one guy who had seven interceptions all by himself. I mean, and they're ball hawks, and they're explosive. And look, the reason I say you may have to revamp this, Stan, we figured this. uh, Dick LeBeau showed the whole world how to beat his own defense when he was the coach of Cincinnati, and uh, New England, and those teams followed suit, and so you play your number one nemesis. Three-fours don't work well, but what have we done for the past 15 years? The three-four.
1: Well, I don't know that it's a configuration of the scheme as much as it is talent. Anthony, i got to run here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to uh, continue to talk some football.
3: The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.
1: We've worked on it, sure,
3: but, you know, instinctive players have a great knack for seeing the, the quarterback, the ball, and anticipating what's going to happen and, and being able to finish it and make the play. So we're fortunate. We have a pretty experienced group back there, and they've you know, got good
1: ball skills, and we've been able to create a few turnovers this year. Bill Belichick talking to the Pittsburgh media earlier this week. All opposing coaches do that, both sides, for every game along with a player, and uh, he spoke to the media uh, on Tuesday in Pittsburgh, and that's where that came from. We're joined now by Bob Sosi. Bob joined us last year talking about the Patriots game, which then became really an instant classic uh, and a turning point, at least rules wise, in the NFL. Bob, thanks for joining us again. How are you?
3: Hey, I'm doing great, Stan. Good to be with you. Uh,
1: it's my pleasure. That was a classic last year. Whatever uh, controversy there was, that was truly a classic ball game.
3: It was in a classic setting. You know, I was asked earlier this week about going to Heinz Field by a member of the Patriots PR staff who's never made the trip to Pittsburgh. And it described it really as a tremendous football experience. And then subsequently had a conversation with the author, Michael McCambridge, for a podcast. Michael, of course, wrote a biography on Chuck Knoll, his yep. life's work in the last year. I asked Michael if he would agree, and he, he certainly uh, signed on 100%. I love the, the sight When you come through the tunnel and you know everything opens up to downtown Pittsburgh the three rivers the confluence PNC park Heinz field the atmosphere everybody congregating in their black and gold the terrible towels uh, the natural grass uh, it's just just a tremendous uh, you know environment and experience and obviously it's been good for the patriots the last couple of times during my tenure that we've gone there but uh, it's it's really a, if you're a, a true football fan uh, at the NFL level I think the two places you have to go From my experience, Lambeau Field and then Heinz Field.
1: Yeah, two classic places and and, um, uh, never been to Lambeau. I'd love to get there uh, one Mm -hmm. of these days. I want to ask you something else before we've been talking about the Patriots. Um, Did you succeed Gil Santos as the Patriots' play-by-play voice?
3: I did. I followed Gil uh, in 2012. Uh, Gil, of course, uh, announced his retirement. And it was about a week uh, left in the regular season when I got an email from the station. I had knocked down some doors locally for a long time. I was calling Navy football for sixteen years. i the first couple of visits I had to Heinfield were whereas the voice of the midshipman uh, saw Navy win a game there in overtime, and then saw Navy get routed there uh, a few years later. But uh, in two thousand and twelve, I was you know blessed with the opportunity just to be considered, and then in the spring of thirteen, was hired to try to follow in Guild's footsteps, but. Uh, I don't consider myself a successor, truly, or someone who replaced him because uh, uh, for you know, fans Pittsburgh, that aren't familiar, I El Santos was kind of New England's Bob Prince, Myron Cope, uh, you know, somebody with the classic football pipes, but yeah. tremendous football broadcast, trying to sportscaster, great sense of humor, great storyteller, uh, really you know, what, uh, 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 the voice of fall here, and along with Gino Capaletti, the perfect tandem. Uh, for a football broadcast you know, on the radio.
1: Bob, the only reason I ask is because I knew Gil. I worked with Gil. Um, back in the mid-'80s, um, I was the TV play-by-play guy for Penn State, and Gil was the radio play-by-play guy for Penn State for a couple of seasons that he was there. And so that's how I got to know him. We traveled together and you know how that works. So, um, I just, he was only one of my favorite guys and I used to see him when he'd come to Pittsburgh, uh, we'd get together. So I just, I wanted to ask that and pay tribute to him. He's he's a wonderful guy and incredibly, uh, talented guy. And that little body had this unbelievable voice (laughs) where where it came out of, um, I asked. Yeah, Steve
3: Steve, Steve Steve Jones, if you don't mind me interrupting, no. and uh, Steve Steve Jones, voice of the Nittany Lions. He and I talked in the spring, and uh, you know, has since left us, he's passed away. But uh, you know, Steve considered him a mentor. Uh, Steve, the outstanding current voice of yep. the Nittany Lions, so he had quite a legacy, and still does here. That's for sure.
1: Well, that's, that's good to hear. He's a classic on WBZ doing the sports uh, as well as the Patriots, Bob. Because you've watched this team for a while. Um, and you look at this 2018 version uh the record is 9 and 4 hey uh no arguing with that going to win the division have won the division uh but as you look at it are they as good as they've been in past years in your view
3: you know that's a, that's been the question all season long stand and Three weeks into the season, when they were one and two and got routed at Jacksonville, and really were non-competitive against Detroit, people here thought the end was not only imminent but had arrived. And uh, you know, all season long, as this team has won some games against quality opponents, like in Chicago, for example, or beating Kansas City, but then taking a step back. Uh, periodically with a loss, for example, on the road last Sunday <laughs> so uncharacteristic, compared with the past Patriots teams, especially under Bill Belichick, uh, with the situational mistakes that they made and uh, the airs uh, losing track of time late in the first half and not scoring when they had a first and goal to go at the two, uh, leaving points on the field in special teams. Uh, getting gashed in the run game, and then, of course, giving up uh, the miracle in Miami, as they're calling it in South Florida. The evidence suggests that this is not the same kind of Patriots team. Does that mean it it can't get to where the Patriots want to go or where they have gone as recently as last year? I'm not sure the makeup of the AFC uh, says so, but I think they are definitely uneven. Uh, They have not played well on the road. Chicago is their best performance, but there's a bit of an asterisk in that Khalil Mack really was uh, out there uh, unable to run around. Uh, he was on a bad ankle, and, and he was inactive the following week and probably should have been inactive for the Patriots game. That being said, you know they had a lot of Hail Mary uh, that uh, ended the game with Chicago catching the ball at the one yard line, and that outcome could have been very different as well. So they're, they're a team that has been inconsistent. I think they're finding their offensive identity now, and they played extremely well in the first half from Miami up until the final half minute for the second quarter last Sunday. Defensively, they've been outstanding at home, and they've done a great job shutting down Aaron Rodgers and really frustrating the Vikings uh, their last couple of home games. But they've been inconsistent and have not played well on the road.
1: In line with that, in conjunction with that, Bob, do you see any, albeit so slight, any decline in Tom Brady's performance?
3: A lot of the numbers suggest that there has been a dip, especially against the Blitz. I'm inclined, and I'm biased. I've seen Brady improve in in subtle and in in some even significant ways just in my tenure since starting the Colby Games for the Pats in 2013. I'm inclined to believe that a lot of the issues that the Patriots offense has faced up until this point have, have been a result of pieces around Brady. They didn't have Danny Amendola to start because he signed as a free agent with the Dolphins, and Julian Edelman was suspended for the first four games of the season. And that takes away an extremely important component of the Patriots offense in enabling Brady to get the ball out quickly. Meanwhile, Rob Gronkowski uh, has not been the same player. He had a very productive game. Last week, we consider between a touchdown catch against the Houston Texans and a touchdown catch against the Dolphins last Sunday. You know, Gronk had, I think, five red zone targets all year long and only a couple inside the 10 yard line and he's a guy that even with 100 yards plus against the Dolphins still looks like he's not playing fully healthy you're not seeing as as easily uh, coming off the line in in, in any kind of a burst at times or as much yardage after the catch. Now he's making progress he missed three games in a four week stretch, Uh, he's had ankle problems back issues, Uh, there was a a lot of speculation in the offseason whether he would return at all. He he contemplated retirement by his own admission. In fact, doing so in the immediate aftermath of the Super Bowl. So I think you know Josh Gordon was acquired as well during the season. Very difficult for a receiver to come into this offense. It is rare for a receiver to ever enter the circle of trust for Brady within the same year uh, he's acquired when he signs mid-season. In Gordon's case, he's been able to earn that trust and become much more of a factor. So I think they're still making strides offensively. And I would say that if you take Tom Brady's first 10-12 throws from last Sunday, he looked very much the same to me.
1: Have there been any issues at all with Josh Gordon?
3: No, sir. You know, there, I, 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 let me backtrack one, uh, one step, a half step maybe. Before the Buffalo game, there was a report by Ian Rappaport that Gordon would not start uh, because he was tardy. Uh, whether it was the Saturday before the team left for Buffalo or as other local reporters uh, reported. Uh, that he also may have missed uh, or was late uh, to a meeting earlier in the week. None of that was ever verified uh, because he started. And, you know, with the Patriots they're very tight left, very guarded, and very few leaks come out of uh, the inside of Gillette Stadium, at least the football operations there. And, and the, other than, you know, that particular week, and, and it really was just isolated on that Monday. I think Ian's report came out on Monday morning. Uh, before Monday night game in Buffalo. Other than that, Josh Gordon has been described as really a model citizen. Brady has been very supportive of him. Belichick has been very complimentary. I think they've really built a nice cocoon around him uh, to try to insulate Gordon. He takes a handful of questions after each game. He appears in front of his locker once a week in terms of meeting the media. He comes off as a, as a very, uh, you know, well-spoken, uh, very soft-spoken, and, and 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 polite young man. And. Uh, seems to be getting along very well and has certainly, uh, like I said, on the field earned the trust of Brady, but they, they needed him to do so. Uh, they signed him in, in a move that at the time smacked him some desperation. They were an offense that was really, really struggling to find its way.
1: Interesting, uh, because he uh, you know has been targeted more than uh, outside of running backs, uh, you know, more than anybody else. Uh, it, because there has been such a change over the last couple of years uh, in terms of wide receivers, uh, outside of Gronkowski, who else outside of Gordon does he you know look for? Hogan killed the Steelers. He killed a lot of different people. Uh, you mean you know Amandola guys like that, uh, Edelman. Uh, you know who who does he look to now?
3: That's a great question because you know, you go back to and a good point about Gordon. Go back to the Tennessee game. Tom Brady didn't even look to Chris Hogan. And for really two consecutive weeks, that was the story here. It's why isn't Brady joined to Hogan? And uh, Brady even admitted, i got to look to him more. He forced 12 throws to Gordon against Tennessee. He had four catches. And that was probably the Patriots, outside of the Detroit game, the Patriots' worst performance of the season. They were dominated from the jump by the Titans. Now, granted, in both of those games, you had Matt Patricia coaching for Detroit, and you had Mike Vrabel coaching for. The Texans, the Titans rather, with Dean Pease as his defensive coordinator. Lots of New England experience and institutional knowledge there. But, uh, you know, the, the big story coming out of Tennessee more than any other was, you know, why, why is Brady forcing it to Gordon? Why isn't he looking into other guys? And, you know, Hogan is a guy that I think would play well uh, on, on Sunday, uh, if, if, if things go uh, as anticipated. He, he's somebody who's better against the zone than he is uh, against, you know the, the press coverage. Uh, somebody who's had a tough time this year getting open, and I think a lot of that has had to do with the lack of Gronk being on the field at times, or being as consistent a weapon at times. Same thing with Edelman not being there. You know, the, the guy really ignites the offense for Brady. Philip Dorsett had a, had a nice season in the works, and then once Gordon was acquired, Dorsett has really been kind of a non-entity for the most part. He played only a sprinkling of snaps last week, but James White is is the other guy that. Uh, has been a very, very reliable target for this team in the last few years. People know about his performances in the Super Bowl. Well, this year, uh, he was on pace up until a week or two ago uh, for over 100 catches, and right now he's sitting at 76, one shy of the team record for most receptions by a running back. And he's evolved, too, uh, as a runner, and I think his work complementing Sonny Michelle, the rookie out of Georgia with three 100-yard performances rushing, and then Rex, Rex Burkett, who missed a good chunk of the season on IR because of a neck injury. He recently returned. You know, there are a lot more options at Brady's disposal. And I could see you know, any one of those running backs, probably more so White and Burkett in the passing game, being a big part of the game plan on Sunday against the Steelers, along with the usual suspects as the receivers and tight end go.
1: Bob Sosi, play by play voice of the pages, our guest on on Sports. And a couple more questions for you, Bob. That leads me to what it's always been fascinating to me and intriguing. Uh, the Patriots have featured backs before, but they've maybe outside of Corey Dillon never had a feature back, if you understand the distinction I'm yep. trying to make. And yet, um, it's a big part of their game. Uh, you mentioned Sony Michelle. Has he been an adequate replacement for Dion Lewis?
3: So he's a different kind of player. You know, so Deion uh, certainly uh, as a receiver and uh, as a back was more dynamic, but then again, Sony is a rookie. And I think he has been. A very solid player. Part of the uh, the issue here in New England, of course, Stan, as you know, is living up to the expectations. Much like in Pittsburgh, you know, people expect you to be in contention for a Super Bowl, if not win it, every year. And if you're drafted in the first round, well, the expectation is you'll be a star. And I think in Michelle's case, you know, he has the burden too that people thought, well, the Patriots they need to get some defensive help, and and with, with, with good reason. Uh, but they drafted. A guard slash tackle with their first pick at twenty three, Isaiah Wynn, who uh, ruptured his Achilles in training camp and has been lost for the year. And then they took his teammate Sony Michelle with the thirty first pick. And I think a lot of people scratch their heads. The Pats had let Dion Lewis walk in free agency. You know, why are we drafting a running back? Is the line I've heard time and again on sports talk radio here locally. And so I think anything Sony Michelle has done this season, including three one hundred yard performances, uh, it hasn't been good enough. If, if you don't understand. And yet, I think he has been just about everything the Patriots expected him to be to this point. He had a knee injury uh, in the middle of the year against uh, the Bears, and that certainly limited him for several weeks. But uh, he's. A big part of this offense, uh, the play action uh, uh, effectiveness of this offense, you know, has has been uh, a, a different story once they got Michelle up and running, uh, and he started to put together some very productive games. The Dolphins did a great job on Sunday in negating the, the run. Patriots ran all over them in their first meeting back in Week Four, but I think Michelle is a guy that, that is going to continue to evolve. I think he hasn't been much of a, uh, an effect in the past; hasn't had much of an effect in the passing game, but. So that, that that's going to come, Patriots put a lot on the running back's table, plate when it comes to the, their passing offense, and I think until he really uh, understands the pass protection part of the job, and and uh, you know with James White and Rex Burkhead, it makes it difficult for him to earn reps there as well. Uh, but I think next year, you know, we'll get the true measure of Sonny Michelle. But this year, all things taken into consideration, he's had a good year for them.
1: Just to wrap up, Bob, uh, any injury updates and talking about Dwayne Allen, Gilmore primarily? Uh, will they be available? Will they be dressed Sunday?
3: Well, the Patriots are about as healthy as they could be at this stage of the season, and they're certainly the healthiest uh, that they have been since the start of this year, Stan. And I think with Allen coming back, that could make a big difference. Gronk has been playing uh, nearly every snap, and he's, he's a tremendous run blocker. And while he's been limited this year as a pass catcher, yeah, I, I have to think, too, that the, the, the toll of, of being – Tied to the line to the formation, you know, snap after snap for the most part and, and being so physically involved in the run game has had an effect. And I think getting Allen back will certainly help because he's a very good run blocker. And, and my expectation is that uh, based on you know, the practice report that we've seen so far this week, that Dwayne Allen stands a really good chance of, of being out there on Sunday against the Steelers. At least he'll, he'll be available. Uh, and then with Stephon Gilmore, it didn't play well against the Dolphins, but I think some of that had to do with the coverages. He's better as a press man uh, than than when we see him in zone. He's gotten better in that area for the Pats. A bit of an ankle issue going into that game in Miami. Didn't necessarily move around great, but again, I don't know if that was more reflective of what they were asking him to do in coverage against the Dolphins or the effect of that ankle problem that really developed a week ago today.
1: All right, Bob, great stuff, great conversation. Thank you so much. I uh, really enjoyed it. Have a safe trip in, and uh, hopefully look forward to seeing you Sunday afternoon.
3: I hope so, Stan. Uh, we'll be sure to say hello, and definitely looking forward to being at Heinz Field on Sunday, 425. Should be another classic game. I think uh, with both of these teams where they are and, and coming off uh, very frustrating, uncharacteristic losses for each, uh, it should be a lot of fun.
1: Should be. Should be. Bob, thanks again. Take care. You too. All right. That's Bob Sosa. He's the play-by-play voice of the New England Patriots.
3: The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.
2: At the end of the day, we're in the NFL. We're playing good teams, no matter what the record is. You know, you go out there and try to play. I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, we uh, take a lot of problems on our field, and, When we don't win, uh, we're not a happy
1: bunch. That's Cam Hayward. I already went on my rant about what Ramon Foster said in the paper this morning. It's not a rant against Ramon. I think he's a quality guy, but it just stuns me that the Patriots have to show up with Tom Brady um, to get their attention. Playing horribly in Jacksonville playing horribly in Denver, blowing a game against the Chargers, and then losing to Oakland. That's not enough. <laughs> oh, boy, we better get going now. No, whatever. Um, Matt Williamson joins us now. Matt's brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Let me answer the trivia question. And there was a purpose, There's a method to my madness here, Matt. And I mean, that never seemed like it. But the Steelers last beat the Patriots. They've lost five in a row now. In October of 2011, they beat them 25-17 at Heinz Field, and they had three field goals. Touchdown pass to A.B., a touchdown pass by Ben a Moore, hmm. a safety by Brett Kiesel, <laughs> and three field goals by Sean Sweezum And I brought that up because he's in here, uh, you know, coaching Chris Boswell. Looks like he's going to be the kicker again. Jim on the north side was the first correct caller. Uh, something that, that really intrigued me, and a lot of things intrigued me about all this. Let me start with this. Not only Sean Sweezum, it makes sense to me. And I remember when there were, I think it might have been Chris Brown was having troubles and Cowher was asked about it and they eventually got rid of him. But Cowher, he said, I don't know what to say to him. Special teams coaches don't know what to say to kickers. Um, it's like, for example, if you're a pitching coach and you've got a guy who throws a knuckleball,
0: I don't, <laughs> right, you know, I don't know anything about
1: right. it. You know, um, and, 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 and I thought it was uh, somebody asked me about that. And I said, you know, only kickers can talk to kickers. So that bringing in Sean Sweezer made a lot of sense to me.
4: Yeah, I think it does too. I mean, it, it's someone else to analyze your golf strokes or so to speak, you know, I mean, and there's probably so much mental to it as well that if it's in your head with these extra points, I mean, maybe he can just be like, uh, they can talk kicker talk is basically the, the, the bottom line. I don't watch special teams tape. I don't know much about special teams. Dale and I were talking about this whenever they brought kickers in. I'm like, with all respect to the Steelers or any pro organization, how many people really in that organization can analyze the two guys that they have in their kicking, you know, to try out versus Boz and say, that guy's better. You know I mean? I can't. I I mean, I don't know many people that can.
1: However, don't you think every special teams coach should be able to do that? You think that there would be some kind of a, I don't know, or fresher course or just you mm-hmm. know at least have a, a working knowledge of it. In other words, um, his footwork and his stroke yeah you know. if I would if I was a uh, as a player, if I was an offensive tackle and I was talking to a tight end on how to block, I would know something about that even though mm. the position is different. you may have to use a different technique. Sure,
4: sure. And I do, like you said originally, kickings like nothing else of the other fifty two dudes on the on the game. But these coaches that have been special teams coaches have been their whole life. That's a portion of it. I mean, you would think they would be able to analyze, you know, ten college kickers and say, "I want that one," yeah. not just by you know results. Well, I think that's what they go by results. Yeah, that's leg not strength good enough though, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah,
1: leg strength and you know the height on kickoffs and punts mm-hmm. and so on and so hang forth. Hang time. Uh, hang time. The other thing that I found interesting that they brought in a former assistant coach from the New York Football Giants who was with the Giants when they beat the Patriots. And he's been here this week offering some of the elements of pass courage they use on Gronkowski. And, you know, Patriots were 16-0, and 0 and they knocked him off and all that kind of thing, which uh, to me is smart. But, what I mean, shouldn't you be able to look at tape? and
4: yeah, What does I, I that say know. about
1: your defensive staff?
4: I, I'm curious what's so great about this guy, <laughs> you know, that you can't figure out on your own. I would think that isn't exactly a ringing endorsement of your defensive staff and if you're talking about the Super Bowl you're talking about the 16 and 0 team that they beat I mean that was a while ago I mean the Patriots more than any team in the league change, you know that that was um and at the time from what I recall I mean the biggest key to that was they brought that NASCAR package in they were bumping defensive ends into defensive tackles and had four really athletic pass rushers and were hitting Brady up the middle and I do think that's something the Steelers can accomplish, although their guys will be 300-pounders. They won't be Justin Tuck and OCU Manure and those type of guys. And to me, that's really the key to this game. I mean, Brady, we could talk about him for sure, but one thing I'm sure of is he likes interior pressure and getting hit less than ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And I don't blame him. I mean, he's up in age. I can't imagine getting hit at this age. But um, I do think the Steelers should be able to
1: accomplish that, and that's, to me, maybe the key to the game. Is that a matter of... To it and Hayward, is that a matter of Hargrave? Is that a matter of a lot of stunting? Is it a matter of inside linebacker blitzes? I would be hesitant to blitz. I would want those three defensive linemen
4: to earn their stripes, carry this defense, and to me they're the best thing this defense has going for them. And, Stan, I don't know if we've talked about this, but the more I watch Hargrave, he might be their best defensive player.
1: He's getting better. He's
4: really, really good, and I think he's challenging Cam as –
1: the best guy on that whole defense and let him turn them loose. You know, we've talked a lot about the Steelers defense and giving up, you know, late drives. And when discussing the Steelers defense, you always get, well, they lead the AFC in sacks and whatever. And sacks are good. Uh, it's like in animal house, knowledge is good. <laughs> you know, sacks are good, but get a sack when a team is driving for a winning touchdown yeah. in the fourth quarter and make it second and 18 or third and 14. Then tell me about how many sacks. Yeah. I mean,
4: if you can only have one thing on the defense, I want to pass rush in today's NFL. No question about it. I'll take it over run defense coverage, whatever. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's one of the clutch plays on this defense and the fourth quarter numbers I don't have in front of me are dismal. Yep. I mean, they're really, really bad. And, that might be the biggest problem on the whole team, to be very honest with you. I mean, there's some other areas I think are problematic, of course. But why? I mean, let's let's look at it and say, why are they getting killed in the fourth quarter? My original thought would be, maybe they're not in good enough shape. You know, I mean, you wear down. But watching the tape, Denver's really the only game lately that I thought, boy, their pads are getting high. Or And I understand that. You're playing in the altitude. So... Wouldn't running the ball more help that problem too, you know, without question. I mean, that's an undeniable stat. I mean, we could talk about, well, they're moving the ball really well by throwing as opposed to running, but you're not helping your defense. You know, let's play complimentary football here. And lastly, and this is the thing to me that worries me the most about Sunday is I know Brady, Belichick, McDaniels are going to make constant adjustments to your adjustments as the games go on. Is the Steelers defense. You know, like, to me, that doesn't bode well for the defensive staff to adjust as the other team adjusts throughout the course of a game, especially with these
1: guys. It no, tells you a lot about the fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, exactly. Not, I mean, not just me, the first quarter. Right. Um, it also struck me, and I know you, you watched the game last night, terrific game. Uh, nobody will talk about this, but I thought it was significant, and it's relatable to what some of the Steelers' issues are. It's still 28 14 at this point, and the Chiefs have the ball. They got a third down and three. About the forty, their own forty-yard line. Okay, Mahomes hits Kelsey. Derwin James comes up and nails him right at the spot of the catch. Fourth and two, they're forced to punt. Then Rivers scores to make it twenty-eight, twenty-one. If the Chiefs pick up that first down, chances are they win the game. They probably believe. seal the deal. Yeah. So, so. They don't have that kind of guy to make that kind of play. Whether it's on Agreed. the goal line against the Raiders, never should have gotten that far, but they don't have a guy who comes up, made a big hit on Kelsey, who's a beast, mm-hmm. dropped him in his tracks and forced him to punt. I 100% agree. You know, like, I, like I said earlier,
4: to me, the, the strength of the defense are their 300-pounders, but they can't make plays past the line of scrimmage. I mean, they're 300 pounds, and they I think they do a very good job at the line of scrimmage But when you look at this defense, and it's a big reason why the turnovers aren't coming, they don't have playmakers. I mean, they have good players. Vince Williams is a fine player. I mean, he could start for anyone in the league. Is he a playmaker? Not really. Are the safeties playmakers? Could they become playmakers? Maybe. Morgan Burnett's never going to be a playmaker. Sensabaugh's never going to be a playmaker. Watt might be one day. Um, And I know this is going to sound generic, and in the offseason, people are going to get really tired of me saying this as opposed to, they need a linebacker. They need a free safety. They need a corner. They need to find playmakers. I don't mm-hmm. care where they are, off the ball, defensive playmakers, and Shazier obviously comes to mind, but he's not walking through that door. I mean, you know, you you got to find new dudes that cover a lot of ground, and that's hard to do when you pick late in the first round every year. I yeah. mean, I'm sure they would have loved
1: Van der Esch to be there, and he would have be that guy, but he didn't get, beat. he wasn't there. Yeah, wasn't there. Uh, people are asking now, should they have traded up? I, I have to find this out. I don't remember who drafted one slot ahead of the Cowboys. If they could have swung mm-hmm. a deal, I mean, I have to, i would have look,
4: to go look, look it up. But yeah, um, all right. But we, it would have cost you. I mean, you wouldn't have James Washington and probably more.
1: Yeah, that's, that's maybe Rudolph. I mean, you know, right. I don't know. But um, if your if your idea was to win now, um, all right, that's water yeah. under the bridge. Didn't happen. Artie Burns, um, I, and you know, initially, that's like somebody saying to me, um, "You're we're going to uh, we're going to make Brussels sprouts for lunch." Um, I can't help but turn up my nose. Um, they say, "Well, Artie Burns is going to start. But is there any rationalization to think that he might help? I'm sure you were
4: one of them that when they were on the winning streak, what's better about this defense? Well, the first thing I said was Artie Burns is on the field. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not pretend that I'm in his corner or I think that he's a wonderful football player.
1: Addition by subtraction.
4: But two, two off seasons ago, or the, the off season before he was drafted. All we talked about was this is before the Jags were knocking off the Steelers. The only, the, the two teams in the AFC were Pittsburgh and in new England. And all we talked about for the whole summer, we got to play more man coverage to beat new England. I mean, you remember those conversations? Yep. And so they drafted Burns in the first round to do that. I mean, that's to me, his skill set is walk up on AJ green. You've got him, you know? Don't ask him to think and change coverages and matchup zones and things like that. Well, they hadn't played much man, especially until you know that year. His you know, early on in his career, this year they're playing more, but they've kind of asked him to be a square peg in a round hole. And you would think he'd adapt better, and he hasn't. But whenever I heard he was active, my immediate sirens went off in my head, saying expect a lot of man coverage in this game. I mean, by far the most man coverage they played last year was the Patriots. I think he's going to line up on Josh Gordon, be big and tall with him, and think about nothing else. If he passes that test, we'll go from there. But I understand it in this game, in this situation.
1: Last year, okay, yeah. Just, here, here, don't w- don't even think about when to come to the sideline to come to the bench. We'll let you know. We'll wave yeah. a towel. And just you, th- follow Josh around. Exactly. That's all we need you to do um, during the game, not after. You don't want to follow Josh no, Gordon. No, on after not the tomorrow game night. Yeah, right. Um, the other thing is, you know, Gronkowski, of course, and Sean Davis got eaten up alive, although he was playing strong safety. How do you think that they deal with Gronkowski? Although, as you heard Bob Sosie say, um, Gronk has not been the same. No, He's Gron- not the same guy. I think this will be Gronk's
4: last year in the league. Do I think you? he'll go down as the best tight end I've ever seen, best of all time. I just think that people with bad backs don't used to have back problems. They always have back problems, and he looks the same way. And I know he put up numbers this week. But he's not the same scary guy. He doesn't move the same. Doesn't mean he isn't dangerous. Doesn't mean the Steelers have an answer for him. I mean, but I do think the talk of, quote, benching Hilton, which I don't think is going to happen, is going to be, Cortland Sutton, you're going to play the Cortez Allen role on Gronk. Remember a couple years ago, it was before Cortez Allen had kind of faded away. But they, they put a corner with some physicality on Gronk. And I think you'll have Fort and guys like that bracketing him as well. And I kind of like it. Allen, uh, Sutton's a guy I've been very, very high on. I think that he's, you know, he's had these off-the-field things the last couple of weeks, so he hasn't really been a factor. But I always thought that he's going to be someone, I predicted this all offseason, was he's going to somehow find a role and they're not going to be able to get him off the field. I don't know if it's going to be the slot corner, the second corner, the free safety, nickel linebacker. He's done a little bit of all of those things. But I think this is a good, It's going to be a challenge for him, but I think he's the right guy for the job. If it was Burnett following him around, I don't trust him. I don't think he moves well enough. I mean, Sutton's going to be at a physical disadvantage because he's you know 75 pounds lighter, but he's feisty. He's big. I mean, he's not big, but he's he plays bigger than he is. I think he's got a shot, you know, with some help. And Davis will be over the top. Speaking of shot, do you give the Steelers a shot? How do you analyze this game? I do. um, I think they win at both lines of scrimmage. I don't think either team runs the ball though. so it's going to be a passing show, but more of a controlled passing show. I give them a shot. I think I'd very much believe at home. I think the Patriots road struggles are legit back against the wall. I almost always put my money on the Steelers, but I wish it was another juggernaut coming in here and not New England. You know what I mean? And the thing that worries me most is I think the Steelers through three quarters will be the better team and one team will continue to adjust and the other one won't. And
1: New England will somehow sneak out of here with a one-point win. As they have. And that's what they do. And not only them, a lot of teams apparently have made fourth-quarter adjustments yeah, and have beaten the Steelers. All right, Matt, we'll see what's what. Um, speaking of juggernauts, they'll get another one next week um, on the road in yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, that will be a tough one, which makes this one even more important, which made the loss to Oakland even more important. But uh, that's gone now. Matt Williamson, he joins us every Friday at this time. Matt's brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Still to come, birthdays, this date in sports history. Um, I wanted to ask you, before we let you go. Yeah. Were you at Pitt when Bill Fralick was, or have I got the wrong time?
4: Oh, no. I was there with the Larry Fitzgerald years. Oh, okay. I mean, he
1: came back from time to time and you yeah.
4: know, talked to the team once. And it's unfortunate, obviously, he's a legend.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just, I just wondered if you had had you know, any relationship.
4: But I will say that the, the old-school pit dudes that were there said there was nobody like him. No. You know, and they had so many good linemen of the, that era, but he was the king of them all.
1: We were talking to a Steeler scout. It might have been Bill Nunn. I, I honestly don't remember. He said that Bill Frelick was the only guy that he ever saw who might have been able to make the jump from high school straight to the NFL. Wow. Of all the college or all the high school tape I watched,
4: I thought Adrian Peterson maybe could. Okay. Yeah. I watched the highlight tape and like, well, ah, he'd be all right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been all right. Yeah. All right, Matt Williamson. Uh, you can check him out on Steelers Nation Radio and uh, right here with us.